Let's turn again now to 1 Peter and to chapter 5. And reading at the beginning of that chapter. 1 Peter 5 and at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, and so on. <coughs> As we reflect and continue to reflect on the way in which suffering for your faith and suffering in the world is a, a central theme in this uh, letter uh, written by Peter to those who were scattered across what was then Asia and to those who were persecuted because of their faith and to those who were because of that coming to the conclusion uh, that they were not the children of God because these were things that they did not expect when they believed in the Lord Jesus. So Peter is educating them. He is helping them to understand their faith. He is helping them to understand that as surely as Jesus suffered in the world and those who were around him, that they also will suffer if they are following him. And so time after time through these chapters, he is referring to the, the presence of suffering and how they are to understand that suffering. And we saw last Lord's Day the way in which the suffering that is present in uh, the midst of the people of God is God's judgment already beginning. Uh, and that through uh, suffering, God is sifting and he is proving those who have genuine faith uh, apart from and separate from those who uh, have a superficial faith and those who don't have that genuine love and trust in the Lord Jesus. And so when suffering comes and people fail to persevere in their suffering, Peter is saying to us that that's God's judgment proving that they are not the genuine people of God. And against that background, we come into chapter number five and uh, looking now at uh, a shift in focus where, where, where Peter is wanting to look at how the church itself is going to help people who are suffering for their faith in the world and to look at the way in which the, the Christian community should be organized as God has directed it so that the people of God will be kept safe and secure and therefore, the importance of the church being structured and functioning the way that Jesus says and the way that Peter says, so that the people of God will be kept safe. And it draws our attention in general terms at this stage to the importance of the way in which we are actually able to keep one another. But today we are looking at, at these verses and the way in which the church should be organized and is organized by God to help preserve the faith of those who are the people of God. And to think of verses 1 to 4 here and to think of present suffering and the role of church leaders. First of all, we want to see that we have a model in this 
passage. And the model is basically the model of the role of the elder. It's not something that's new to us, but we want to see what Peter has to say with regard to that role. So I exhort the elders among you. In a sense, the word elders means those who are older. And to be an elder doesn't necessarily mean that a person needs to be an old person. That's, that's not what it means in practical terms. But the word elder is the presbyteros. It's the presbyter. And as a church, we are a Presbyterian church. And the key role and office in the Presbyterian church is the presbyter, the elder, the minister, and the elder. They are the key people. And when we read through the New Testament, we see that it was the practice of the apostles to appoint elders in all of their churches. We see Paul and Barnabas doing that in Acts 14. We see Paul telling Titus to do that in Titus chapter 1. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And we saw from our reading in the book of, in the book of Acts and chapter number 20, the way in which Paul is speaking to the elders who are at Ephesus with regard to being to paying careful attention to themselves and to the flock and with regard to the Holy Spirit uh, actually appointing them as overseers there. So there is that sense of, of the practice of the church from the very beginning to appoint elders in every place. And in appointing elders, there was specific focus on the person's personality first of all and and the way in which they they conducted themselves in general terms and then there was the the focus on on the gifts of those who were being uh, ordained into that very office and and we we see that in the, the book of Titus once more the way in which there are personal qualifications above reproach husband of one, one wife, and all of these things that set a person apart whose reputation is good. And alongside of that, there is the, the, the gift of, of holding trustworthy the word that is taught, the gift of, of being able to do so in order to instruct others in, in sound doctrine, the gift of being able to do so so that they may be able to to correct and to help and to restore those who are slipping away from the truth. The practice is clear in the whole of the New Testament as the church grows in the book of Acts. And we, we see in Titus chapter 1 that, that the elder, the, the presbyter, that the, is also an overseer and a steward in the house of God. And a couple of weeks back, we saw the way in which the steward is the administrator in charge of the, the household affairs. He is, in a sense, the housekeeper in the big household, appointed by the person who is the owner of the house, who has access to the wealth and to the resources of the household, and who is the agent of the household in all of its business affairs. And so we have that, that model in the Bible that, that shows to us that, that central to the way in which God has provided his people with an organization through which they are going to be kept secure in the world, that the way in which he has done that is through the office of the eldership. And 
Paul made it quite clear in Acts chapter 20 that they were God's provision for the church in Ephesus. The Holy Spirit had made them overseers. And they were there for the sake of the people of God, for the sake of the household of God, for the sake of those who believed in the Lord Jesus that were to minister to them. And when we recognize the the way in which the Bible so focuses on the office of the eldership, we should always be thankful to God for, for elders that are focused on the word of God, that are faithful to the word of God, that take the word toward us, that which is trustworthy for themselves, and that are sent to us by the Holy Spirit of God, who sets them apart to serve in the church of God for our assurance, for our security, and for our safety. And when we think then of of suffering in in the world and suffering for our faith, the, the model that God has chosen to put in place in his church is to have elders appointed by himself who will provide that security for those who feel threatened in their faith and for those who perhaps are slipping away from their faith because they are living in a culture and in an environment that is full of enmity and full of hostility. And when Peter is drawing attention to that, he wants them to understand the origin of that role of the eldership. He wants to see the authority with which it comes, and he wants them to understand that because of its origins and because of its authority, that they must submit to these very elders that God sets apart. And Peter does so by by describing himself in, in, in some ways in these verses. And first of all, in order to show to them that they are elders in continuity with himself as an apostle, he draws attention to the way in which he is a fellow elder. He is in the same role as they are. And we know, of course, that, that Peter was, was sent out with the rest of the disciples by the Lord Jesus himself. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he wants the, the elders and the churches in Asia, as well as the churches in Ephesus, to know that their ministry and their service and their office is in continuity with the office of the apostles themselves. That as surely as, as Jesus sent the disciples as his apostles, so he sends those who are called by the church, who are set apart by him, to be in the office of the ruling elder. There is continuity. And for all who are ordained to that office, there is that sense of honor and that sense of privilege as well as responsibility, but that sense of knowing that ordained into that office, they are there with the authority of the Lord Jesus as the head of the church. There is that continuity. There is that also the sense of faithful endurance. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter has spoken repeatedly of suffering 
for Christ in this letter. And the, the focus of what Peter is saying is that he is someone who himself has suffered and is suffering for Christ. He is a witness of that himself as well as experiencing it. And he has continued faithful to his master and Lord in doing so. And so by, by that second description of himself, he is speaking of, of the elders as those who are appointed with the authority of Christ and who are there because they themselves have experienced the trial of faith and approve themselves to, to be genuine in their perseverance through these very trials to be the very people of God that God has so set apart and joined together to him in that service. And also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That in the midst of all that he was enduring in the world, he had that horizon of hope and uh, his whole experience of the salvation in Christ uh, was one that was filled with that joy of hope that enabled him to, to work through all of the suffering and to continue to serve the Lord Jesus as an apostle, as the elders were going to do so in the office of the eldership. And so we have a model of leadership in Christ's church, which he has put in place with his own authority and with his own power and done so for the secure keeping of Christ's church in the world. We are thankful to God for the model that he has put in place for the safekeeping of our faith and to enable us to live as the children of God in a hostile world. There is a model. Secondly, of course, there is a ministry. And the ministry is to do with the people of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Down through the Old Testament, repeatedly as we saw in Psalm number 78 and in Psalm number 80, God is the shepherd of his people. He is the one who has guided them. He is the one who has led them. He is the one who has, who has tended his flock. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we see the way in which the Lord Jesus, in, in the promise of his coming, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Those who were straying like sheep. Peter says here in this book itself, in the second chapter, they have returned to the shepherd and overseer of their soul. There are, there are people who are the people of God. And they are under God's ownership and possessed by God because he has purchased them for himself. And we saw in Acts chapter 20 the way in which Paul describes the church in Ephesus as the church that God has purchased with his own blood. When he speaks about the people of God, he recognizes that they belong to God by right and by purchase. And today when we think of the way in which the faith of the people of God is going to be kept, then we need to see ourselves as those who belong to God whom God has purchased for himself, 
secured our salvation and done so through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. We belong to him. As, as Paul says, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And, and if we have faith today in, in the God that has so placed this order in this church, if we have faith today, then we will recognize the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. The preciousness of the way in which our sins are forgiven because of that blood. But with the preciousness of the way in which we are ransomed, the redemption price is paid. We are set free from slavery and we are now the children of God. It is for you and for me as those who have faith in the Lord Jesus because God has purchased us with the blood of his son. It is for you and for me that God has so structured his church in the world. And for you as those who are the people of God, the elders are to shepherd the flock of God. If we want to know a detailed account of shepherding the Bible, you can go home and read Ezekiel chapter 34. The shepherding is about searching out. The shepherding is about bringing the sheep home. The shepherding is about bringing the sheep into their own land. The shepherding is about caring for the sheep when they are unwell. The shepherding is about providing for them. And when, when Peter is calling upon the elders here to, to shepherd the flock of God, he is calling upon them to follow that great example in the Old Testament. And in that passage in Ezekiel 34, the, God is sending out word against the shepherds of that day and against the kings of Israel because they did not shepherd the sheep and that is when he says, I myself will shepherd my sheep and will seek them out. And so those whom God sets apart to look after his people in the world, here is the breadth of their ministry. Here is the, the, the scope of the ministry. It's nothing less than what God prescribes in his word in Ezekiel chapter 34. It is all of these things so that you as the people of God, that those whom God has loved will be brought from darkness through light to the evangelism of those who are in the eldership, so that you may come to faith in the Lord Jesus, will be built up in your faith through the ministry and the shepherding of the eldership. And so that you will grow up in your faith and be strong in your faith through the teaching ministry of the eldership. And so that in every way, the faith of the people of God is being built up to be able to stand in the face of the hostility that we meet with in the world. Shepherd the flock of God. What a responsibility what a privilege and what a blessing for you that God has so ordered this for you. And Peter 
knows the pain and we can sense Peter's pain when he is saying this and writing this to his reader here. We can cast our minds back on the seashore after Peter has denied his master three times. And Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. The threefold question. Tend my sheep and feed my lambs and feed my sheep. That is the pain in Peter's heart on the, on the seashore as, as Jesus reminds him of what he is going to do sent out by him. He has come from a place of failure and he's been challenged with the question and he's being sent out now in the name of the Lord Jesus to do the shepherding of Jesus for him. And so he comes with these words with a heartfelt sense of the tenderness of Jesus in speaking to himself and now with a sense of tenderness as he speaks to his hearers when they hear this letter. Shepherd the flock of God. The privilege of of being sent out to serve God in this great ministry. The danger of failing as we as we refer to in Ezekiel 34, I am against my shepherds. And the encouragement of the tenderness of the Lord Jesus to to enable us to to go and, and to shepherd the people of God. It's a ministry that's privileged and blessed by Jesus himself in the organization of his church and it is for you and Peter wants them to be clear with regard to this ministry that there is or that there are particular characteristics which are going to mark this kind of ministry exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly. It's that watchfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, the eye of the Lord is over the whole land, the whole of the year, overseeing, watching over, taking care of, doing so not under compulsion as, as, if, as if they are going to feel obliged to do this because of, of where they are or because of where God has has sent them, but with the same tenderness of Jesus, doing it willingly and doing it lovingly and going out in the name of the Lord Jesus with the same love of the Lord Jesus and doing this with a sense of wholeheartedness because they understand the relationship with the one who has sent them and because they understand the needs of those under their watchful care. 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not doing this for their own glory, but doing it with that sense of urgency because of the need of every moment and because of the need of every child of God. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's that sense of being Christ-like in fulfilling this ministry. And we hear the, the words of the Lord Jesus when he's speaking to the disciples in Mark chapter 10, where he's speaking of the, the Gentiles lording it over those whom they rule over, domineering, bullying them into to doing what, what they should be doing. You are not to be like that. You are be, going to be so very different to that. Whoever will be great among you will be your servant. Why? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It's a Christ-like ministry. It's a Christ-sourced ministry. It's a Christ-authorized ministry. And it's for the good of the Christian church in every generation. There is a model. There is a ministry. And there is a motivation of course, there is that when, or so that, we read and here, so that when the chief shepherd appears. And any organization we'll be thinking about a line manager or, or, or the boss, the head of the organization. But here is the chief shepherd. They, they are under shepherds, they are working under him. Reminding them that he is the master. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd of the sheep that God brought back from the dead in Hebrews 13. When the chief shepherd appears, that is the Lord Jesus. When at last he will come into view. They love him, though they have not seen him. They expect his return. They rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory because the day will come when he will be seen by their eyes, when he will stand on the earth and his glory will be open to their view. He will shine in all of his brightness. And that is the day that they have to keep in view. As Peter himself has spoken of the being a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What greater motivation is there than, than to know that the day is coming when, when our great master is going to stand in front of us and we in him. And we are, our eyes are going to meet. We're going, we're going to see his face. And in that moment, we want to be sure that, that all that he's appointed us to do has been fulfilled to us so that when we do meet with him that we will hear these words well done good and faithful servant that's the motivation you will receive the unfading crown of glory it is that fabled flower that is not supposed to fade away 
It's the crown that's given to the athlete on completing the course. It's the crown that's given to the athlete who has won the race and who comes back into the city. He is presented with this emblem of victory. And here is that crown given to those who are the elders who have served the Lord and who have done so faithfully and dutifully and who have done so as servants of the people of God in the world. They will stand before the brightness of the throne of the Lord Jesus and they will receive that crown. And Paul, who wrote these words in Ephesus, wrote to Titus at the end of his own life, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. In 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. There is therefore laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord has prepared not just for me, but for all those who love his appearing. It's a motivation for those who have been set apart by the Lord Jesus and his church to serve him in the the ministry of the eldership, that they will serve with the gentleness of Jesus every day, that they will serve with a, a sense of having come through the sufferings of faith themselves and have proved themselves in the suffering to have genuine faith and commitment to the Lord and to live day by day with his, their eye upon the day of the reward and not because they're doing it for any kind of reward but they're doing it in their duty to their master and they are remembering these words of, of Jesus in Martin. The greatest among you will be the one who serves. For the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And the promise is that when the model is working, that our faith is safe. When the model is working, we can carry each other through suffering and through persecution for our faith. The model needs to work as it has been put in place by God. And may God help us to ensure every day that the model of the eldership is working, that the model of the the ministry is working, and that the model of the ministry is helping us all together in our faith and keeping us on our course. So may I arrive with, with Paul and with all of the rest and be able to say of, Fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. May God bless his word to us and may grant it that it should be so. Let us join together in prayer. Most gracious God, we seek to humble ourselves before you. You are the great God who requires of us things that we are unable to do ourselves. But you are the God who has promised to give grace to us and all that you require us to do. And so bless your word to us today. Bless it to us in our hearts for our examination, for our encouragement, for our strengthening as we seek to continue together to 
follow you and to serve you in the gospel. May you bless your word to us with your power and may you grant us to be always inspired and motivated by the example that you have left to us in the gospel of the love and the gentleness of your son and of the promise of his coming at last to gather us all together to be with him forevermore. So bless your word, we pray, and hear us, for we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. So our closing psalm is again on psalm number 78 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 78 in the Scottish Psalter on page 330. And at verse number 69. Psalm 78 on page 330 at verse number 69. And he is sanctuary built like to a palace high like to the earth which he did found to perpetuity. From 69 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. And he is sanctuary built like to a Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.